It's the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 35. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to the podcast. Week one of the college football season is now in the books, and the Golden Gophers are 1-0 after a 38-0 victory over New Mexico State. We'll recap and review that game, and also look ahead to this coming weekend's home game when Minnesota takes on Western Illinois. And we'll do it two ways. First, we'll get a player's perspective with senior linebacker Mariano Sori Marin. He collected a team-high five tackles in that season-opening victory, and will also be joined by the talented Andy Greeter, gopher football beat writer for the St. Paul Pioneer Press. Andy does a tremendous job, and we'll get his insight as well. So it's gopher football talk on the Go Gopher podcast, episode number 35. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by alumni-owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, Start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors or True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone. And True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. You can get a confidential, no-cost, no-obligation business valuation started today. Make the most of your life's work. Visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. Our thanks to Brian Slipka. He leads the group in a serving and giving manner. Our podcast is also sponsored by State Farm agent Tony Hoagland at ChamplinInsurance.com. Tony's a big Gopher fan. He's excited the football season is now underway. And our newest partner on the Go Gopher podcast with Mike Grimm is Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union. So glad to be affiliated with Affinity Plus, a local Minnesota credit union providing all of your banking needs, including a top-ranked mobile app. And they do so much in the community as well, including great work with Special Olympics Minnesota, as well as being top supporters of of Gopher Athletics. I invite you to subscribe to our podcast. It's free to click the subscribe button. You can listen at any time. You can also go back and listen to our previous shows, including last week's podcast, where we previewed the Gopher football season with a reporter's roundtable of guests who cover the maroon and gold. This week, it's week two of the football season, and we talk Gopher football again on the Go Gopher podcast. It's episode number 35. Golden Gopher linebacker Mariano Sori Marin is our opening guest, and here's our conversation. It's episode number 35. We are on campus with Mariano Sori Marin, the Golden Gopher linebacker. And hey, welcome back to the Go Gopher podcast. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me back. I love doing this, so I appreciate that. I think your first appearance was in June, and we went, I think, almost an hour. We talked food. We talked, uh, you know, uh, different things. We talked about your Cuban descent, which was incredible. If people haven't heard that, they should go back and find that one. That was one of our most popular podcasts. But uh, so before we get into the last week's game and pre this coming week's game and talk some football. Um, have you added any new restaurants to the uh, to the uh, resume that you have uh, gone out? I know you're going out once or twice a week just to add some new ones. You got yeah, any, any yeah, new no, reports? I've, I've definitely been adding some. I think I'm around 110 wow. now, maybe 111. I haven't exactly counted, but uh, yeah, you know, during the season, it slows down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we got a lot of work to do preparing for a football game on Saturday, but uh, I do make it a goal. Uh, once a week, and, and I do it on Thursdays. Once a week, I, I get some guys and we go out to eat. And, and during the season, I, I make it a deal that I'm going to do a new restaurant each week. So this week, I haven't decided where I'm going. Um, still, still looking, still browsing. But uh, yeah, I mean, 
once a week at a new spot. Yeah. So, you know, I get 13, 14 new spots throughout the year. So. That's awesome. So any that uh, you've that, that you've had since June that you'd uh, add to your top 10 list and have to knock somebody out? Nobody nobody added to the top 10. Not quite. Not um, yet. Some good ones, though? There's some good ones. I tried Stepchild. That's in uh, Northeast, and they have a really good burger. Um, yeah. It's uh, just right across the river. Um, yeah, Stepchild was one I tried. Uh Obviously went to the state fair with the football team um, and just had all the classics yeah. there. Uh, no, I didn't try anything new this year because I was filming a Meals with Mariano, so I wanted to make sure that I went back to all the classic spots. We got Sweet Martha's Cookies, got a Pronto Pup, got some sweet corn, uh, you know, dunked in butter. So did all those. And, yeah, no, the food's been good around here. I can't complain about that. Listen to you sounding like a true Minnesotan talking about Sweet Martha's and the corn on the cob. And, uh, you know, I guess it's, what, four or five state fairs now you've been to. Well, I guess the, the one with COVID got knocked out, but you've been to enough to know where you got to go. Oh, yeah, and I, I got to give credit to Josh Ani and some of the local native Minnesota guys because when I came here as a freshman, you know, I did my reading, but, you know, until you ask the true guys that have been going since they were kids, you yeah. know, you never know. So they, they took me around, they showed me the way, and now I feel like a true Minnesotan going yeah, around. Yeah. And, you know, I my family come up came up for that first game and we went to the state fair as well. And, you know, I had to take them all the spots and they loved it as well. So that was really cool. I saw you guys out there one day, the team went out, you guys all wearing those bright gold shirts yep, so you could, yep. you could stand out, but uh, it was, it, I I could tell you guys were having some fun. Yeah, no. If, if you watch the uh, the Meals with Mariano and Camp with Kessich episode on Gopher social media, you can see me and him rode one of the slingshots, and we had a lot of good food. And then to top the day off, we rode some roller coaster rides. So it, it, I was fine with it. Didn't sit well with him. He was having a tough time. Uh, you know, he didn't throw up, but we were all good, and we had a lot of fun. A little so. queasy on A little it, queasy, yeah, yeah. I could not do it. I don't think I could do it. That One, I'd be scared. Uh, I'm, I'm not uh, – I feel like I do have – some courage in certain aspects of life, but uh, uh, carnival rides is not one that I'm willing to put my life on the line. Yeah, you got to go for it. You got to go for <laughs> so it. So you were on the slingshot thing that swings around, or so the slingshot the thing. It's thing. like it's it's like there's one little cart and there's it's a two person ride and there's bungees and it basically just slingshots you one time into the air and then you kind of just ricochet back and forth oh, until yeah. they bring you all the way back down. But that initial slingshot is the best, and you know you just that. Slight those few seconds where your stomach, you know, yeah. goes all the way up to your head is is, is pretty fun. But <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty good, no doubt. All right, yeah, I'm I'm out on that, but I'm glad you you got to enjoy it. And uh, and uh, so Dragon uh, had a little bit of a queasy. Yeah, yeah, he had a tough time. I mean, they they only showed a few seconds in the video of me. Pushing, pure pre positively pure pressuring him to get on the ride, but it really took about 30 minutes in actuality before he finally decided. And afterwards, he's like, you know, I'm glad you did that. I'm glad you made me get on. So, you know, we get out of he, that comfort zone. Yeah, he sometimes. got a new experience out of that, and I'm glad he was able to do that. So, you, you mentioned uh, your, your guys' uh, social media stuff. You guys are two emerging superstars on that angle. You have meals with Mariano, right. Mariano, and then he's got what? What is camp? This? Camp with Kessich. Camp with Kessich, and then, and then Brevin's got Brev, a barber barber shop with Brev. Yeah, those were yeah. three segments that we did during camp and it was just a it was a new thing that go for football media did and it was a lot of fun um you know yeah. we, we do a lot of team activities and just get around the guys and to film those and have a little speaker and segments was fun yeah That's people sure. need to go back and look so are those done now that the season yep, started those are done now that the season's over the the season finale was at the state fair so nice maybe next year somebody will take over yeah. my meals with Mario. maybe you could slip one in on the bye week that's what i'm thinking episode, that's what i'm thinking know? i'll have to talk with uh with some of the guys over in 
in media and, and get that done. Well, and, and you mentioned, obviously, once the season starts, things get busy. Do put it put into perspective a little bit what it's like now um, when, when, you know, the routine starts. I know uh, you have your degree, so maybe your class uh, room right. load is a little less now uh, than maybe it was when, when you know, you're, you're gunning for the degree or some of your younger teammates are now in that boat. What's a week like? Yeah, for sure. So I'll go, I'll go from like a standard student that's doing an undergrad, a, a football player that's in their undergrad, because obviously right now I'm only in four credits, but you know, the base load is 12 for, for a student athlete. So typically, you know, I'll start the week on Monday. Monday's our off day. That's our academic day. And that's filled with a lot of tutoring sessions, meeting with your academic advisor. Um, the coaches have a staff meeting and they, they just talk about the players. So it's really just a checkup day. You're getting a lot of treatment. You're in throughout the day, but we're away from football, um, you know, on field stuff. Uh, Tuesday is where we start start the week, and that's that's game plan day number one, and and that's when the initial game plan gets installed. We're working first and second down, and you start around seven a.m. in the morning, and you got meetings, practice, lift, treatment, and you really get done with organized football stuff around noon. So you're, you're seven to noon with organized football and then you're in the training room and that's, that's stuff you're doing on your own. You're in the training room, recovering your body, you're in the tubs, in the float tanks, and then you're watching film on your own. And, and usually typically you get done around, you know, two or three with, with that type of stuff. And then you got to go to class, you know, so guys got class, they got tutoring and that can last anywhere four to five hours a day, just depending on what their course load looks like, what the amount of tutoring they need. Um, and then usually we come back and meet um, voluntarily as a unit at the end of the night, and that's around 7 o'clock. So well, that's for an hour. We're 7, 8, you know, as the linebackers get together, decide this is the time we're going to get together and watch some film. Um, we'll watch practice from that day. We'll continue to study the tips and tendencies. And then that's a Tuesday. So you're really 7 to 8 Dang. p.m. on a Tuesday. And th- I'd say that's the same for a Wednesday. Um, Thursday's a little bit different because we have a lot more meeting time, and we're – doing a walkthrough so we're, we're not in pads and but the practices is much longer because it's not that load of running around we're walking around we're talking through a lot of situations and and the mental aspect of the game plan um but then again afterwards you're, you're again you're doing your class you're doing your your recovery and then fridays we call it fast friday because you're up early we do a quick practice, quick meetings, and then you, you have a little bit of time off, but then we're going straight to the hotel. And, um, you know, we get to the hotel around home four, and road, right? Home and road. Yeah. So we, we get to the hotel around four o'clock on a, on a home day. Um, if we're traveling, you know, we usually take off here around one or two, depending on how far the, the away game is. And then you're at the hotel and we have meetings there. We have more treatment there. And then you wake up Saturday morning, it's game day. And that's and that's a weekly go. schedule. And then what's Sunday involved? So Sunday Besides being sore. Probably. Yeah. So Sunday involves a lot of soreness. Um, but Sunday morning is is de- is is time off. You know, if guys want to worship, you know, sleep in. You just got done with a long game, and then we come in around one or two o'clock in the afternoon, and we have massages. That day is dedicated to a lot of treatment. There's, I mean, you you think about you just played in a football game. You played 40, 50 snaps um, of football you need to get your body right for that week. So it's a lot of treatment. We have meetings in the afternoon and then uh, a, a quick practice. And for the older guys that played in the game, the one and two deep, that consists of corrections from last week's game. And then the young guys actually do a little bit of scrimmaging. And, uh, you know, they, they got to keep their bodies fresh. They got to keep playing 
live fast football. So they didn't get to play in the game on Saturday, so they're doing a live scrimmage Sunday, and, and the older guys get to watch and coach them yeah. and see them develop throughout the year. I know coaches have, too, said that that helps them kind of evaluate that that scrimmage. Okay, this is a guy that we can project you right. know, next year oh, might for be sure. in this for spot, sure. or two years might be here, or, oh. or on a rare occasion, we got to play this guy right. in no game doubt. this year. You no know? doubt. I mean, some you know injuries occur, guys get banged up. Um, you know, by the end of the year, some of those, we call them rofers. Um, some of those rofers that were playing uh, doing those Sunday night scrimmages, they're playing later in the year. And so that's why those scrimmages are really important. So they can continue to develop, see that game speed and um, get better because you, you never know when you're going to need to call them. Yeah, call no them doubt. Up. So it sounds based on that, that a lot of the classes that, that the football team has to take are got to be mostly afternoon or even evening classes. Yeah, so all, all afternoon. We can't take classes during the season before 12. Um, um, and and it's and it flips in the spring. So when we're in spring ball, you can't take classes uh, before in the morning. Yeah, you got to take classes in the morning. So it flips, and and that gives us a great opportunity. I I prefer the mornings, but you know the, the schedule's perfect for us because you you can take that morning class in the spring if you need to or you can take that at afternoon class in, during the season so it, it's designed perfectly yeah for and us. you have enough of the the academic uh counseling in terms of like uh, they can they can find out when classes go so right. there's pl- planning i guess is what i'm saying yes. like not ever all of you guys you know are going to need tutors necessarily or whatever right, you right. but probably all of you need some sort of help in regard to oh, no doubt here's what the schedule looks like in the spring here's what you probably need to do to take classes uh one to get a degree and i'm thinking of guys you know that have you know really nice degrees either pre-med or business or carlson school and you know that's not anything to mess with no right? no doubt those academic advisors do a phenomenal job and, and they really help us out because they put together a four-year plan or if you're a guy that says i want to graduate in three and a half or i want to graduate in three they put together a really nice plan for you to be successful yeah. and uh you know we've seen you know, under Coach Fleck, the, the, the cumulative team GPA just continued to rise. And that's a testament to the players. That's a testament to that academic staff and just the work that those guys put in. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we are student athletes and we're yeah. doing a lot, a lot of schoolwork. And, um, you know, people sometimes forget that. But no doubt, we we, we, we work really hard in the classroom and, and it shows. Yeah, it's amazing what, uh, what, you know, the amount. It's a really a full-time job. There's no doubt about that. Um, hang tight here for a second. Let's, we're going to talk some football in a minute. But I do want to thank Affinity Plus at your local credit union, proudly serving Minnesota. Minnesota since 1930. They're a proud sponsor of our Go Gopher podcast here. Uh, current Gopher students and proud Gopher alums are eligible to join a financial, a financial institution that is Affinity Plus to build a meaningful banking relationship that puts you first. You can meet with a local employee at any of their branches statewide, including right off campus here in Minneapolis up on University. To learn more or find another way to connect, you can go to affinityplus.org dash go gophers. That's affinityplus.org slash go gophers. And again, they're a proud sponsor of the Go Gopher podcast, Affinity Plus, Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA, and they're great supporters of the Gopher program. Let's talk a little football here with uh, Mariano Sori Marin out of uh, the Chicago land area, Mokina, excuse me, Mokina, Illinois, and uh, Providence Catholic, New Mexico State, five tackles in a game, and you know, for a linebacker, when you play 33 plays, I guess that's not bad, right? No, I mean, love the team. 33, 33 uh, total defensive plays. I played 29 snaps. Snaps and uh, you just look at that as a cumulative team team effort. Um, you know the offense held onto the ball for around 45 minutes of the game. They were running the ball down the field, just long, consistent drives, and then punching it in at the end. And then the defense was going out there and getting 
you know, three and out. So, you know, some of the guys were, were chuckling in the locker room afterwards, like, you know, I wish I played a little bit more, but I'm like, all right, you know, as a veteran player, like, hey, listen, like, yeah, we want to play, but that's a good thing that the defense is is playing, you know, so few snaps and giving the ball to Tanner Morgan in the offense, giving our offense opportunities to score. But yeah, just such a cumulative team effort. We talk about, you know, we have to play with each other, offense, defense, special teams. It's, it's a team effort at the end of the day. Yeah, and the linebacking core usually, especially you there in the middle, stays in. I know some of the defensive linemen, because you want to keep those big guys fresh. Right. Like, you know, the starters played maybe 18 plays, Literally, 19 yeah. plays. Yep. But that's okay to take, not take as many hits on opening night. You oh, got, for sure. You, you got a taste of it. For right? sure. It's a long season. So, I mean, when you're, when you're coming out of game one and guys feel like they barely even played a game one, you know, that's an advantage for us. Guys are fresh. Guys are healthy and we just have to continue to get better each week and you know to, to go into week two and have those few amount of reps guys are fresh we're, we're ready and and we just got to you know go out there and execute 38 nothing was the final on thursday do you like the thursday night game yeah i i, I it's been a thursday night game every every uh every home opener for me so i think it's really cool because you know you look at that saturday and there's a lot of good games going on but that thursday night like people tune in for yeah. that i know a lot of my friends love it too because it's like it's a first true night of college football and you know it's a thursday night you're under the lights um you know students are just getting a good on crowd yeah it's, it's, it's a phenomenal crowd students are just getting on campus and we don't we don't actually start classes until that next tuesday after uh, labor day so everybody's coming out the students are really excited to be back on campus and watch them go for football. Yeah, and then, you know, it's not a bye week, but it's a little bit because you get the extra couple of days. Yeah, it's got to yep. be nice, too, particularly over a holiday weekend. For right? sure. You get a few extra days, and, and that allows us that extra recovery. That allows us a little extra game plan time. And, uh, you know, it's a long season, like I said. So just to be continue to stay fresh and healthy is key, you know. Did it uh, did it feel good, though, just to get back out there, too? Because I think you and I talked even in the, uh, you know, week leading into it, just to have someone in another colored jersey on the other side uh, – uh, and get back out there. Yeah, it's, it's a long fall camp, and you just you're you know all leading up from January through spring ball, summer fall camp. You're just going Minnesota on Minnesota, and you're constantly. I mean, you know these are our brothers, but after a while, you know I, I want to hit somebody in a, in another yeah. color. So to get that first opportunity in that first game, it's really always exciting because that's 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 the first time that the bullets are live since last year. And you know even as a veteran player, this is my fifth season. That first game always is, is a little crazy. You know those first few plays are like wow. You you know, yeah. it's fast. It's back. You know, football's back. So, yeah, you know, I was just really proud of the team effort, proud of the way we played as a defense. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a blast to be out there. Did you, obviously from year to year, you want to, and we talked about it in June, you had a certain couple of things. Hey, this summer I want to work on this and this, you know, fall camp I want to work on this. Could you tell? I mean, did you did you think, there, did it feel the same or is it too tough to know? No, I, yeah, you, you for, sure see, for sure see that growth and you see it, you know, in, in a fall camp, and then that first game is that really that first time you can put it on display, um, you know, when the bullets are live. But you see that growth, and uh, you know the things that you work off, work on all offseason finally start to pay off. And uh, you know, we just talked about you know being a, a, a committed and, and and a defense that that comes together and plays together, and, th and that's so important. And we were able to see that. Um, you know, it was limited with 33 snaps, but 
I mean, those were a good 33 snaps. You throw on that tape, like guys were flying to the ball, guys were doing their job, guys were playing hard for each other, and that's what you wanted to see because that was our main focus for the offseason. I think at one point I looked, the Gophers had 27 first downs and New Mexico State had three, and I think it was either late third quarter, might even been early fourth quarter. So you give up a down, a first down a quarter on average, you know you got to be you know playing at a pretty high level. That said, were there some things you took out of it that, hey, yeah, here's a spot the defense has to be better for next week and the week after? Oh, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, anytime you know we, we throw on a game, there's things we can get better at. And, and it's everybody's first week, you know, that's New Mexico. I know New Mexico State played a game before that, but it's early in the season. There was things communicationally that we could have done better. There was a few things that happened that maybe we got away with in that football game that as the schedule goes on and as we, we get into, you know, games down the road that maybe you're not going to get away with that. It doesn't show up in that game. You know, we got lucky. We got to continue to learn from it. You don't want to look at the result. You want to look at the process. Um, you know, maybe it was a third down stop, but maybe we cut a receiver loose. Like those are things that can't happen and you have to improve from uh, because that will come, you know, that'll catch up to us eventually. So yeah, for sure. There's a, there's a bunch of things we have to get better at. And, you know, our coaches gave each position coach gave their room three things to work on this week and you know we've been applying it at the linebacker spot and we just got to continue to work on that for Western Illinois this Saturday. How cognizant were you I mean obviously you know you didn't give up any points but at the point they finally crossed midfield and now they're you know getting they didn't quite get to the red zone but okay we want to preserve the shutout is that something you think about like hey we want to keep them out here? Uh, I mean you're, you're you're not worried about that you're just worried about the next play yeah. um, you know and you, if you worry about the next play you know the result all to take care of itself like obviously we knew that we hadn't let up any points but if you're looking to defend points you're going to take away from the play that's right in front of you and they're and before you know it they'll be driving down the field so you know it's it's in the back of your mind but that's not your focus that's not your main focus your focus on that play in front of you stopping them limiting limiting them to 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 where they're at and you know knowing that the result will take care of itself then you got to celebrate with tea time oh no doubt no doubt no doubt and and we talked about those narrow plays because i mean that was a third down third down stop third down interception where we, we call that a four-point play so that's a third down nearing the red zone let's say they get a first down there now they have the potential for seven points let's say we get a stop there now they have to kick a field goal so the difference between seven and three is four and we call that a four-point play but then when you get a turnover that's a seven-point play yeah. we, we took seven points off the board there a possible seven points minimum of three if they kick a field goal um, yeah, so those are key plays. Like that, that play down there, just, you know, in, in the grand scheme and, and at the end of the game, you can add up a lot of points down there. Yeah, you know, no just, doubt. I guess short of scoring a defensive touchdown, uh, that's about as close as you can come to, to scoring points. For right? sure, for Keeping sure. Keeping them yes. off the board. No right? doubt. In, in no a doubt. close, tight deal. Um, you guys don't huddle much on defense. I know you're looking and then personnel comes in and there's signals. And obviously, I don't want you to give a lot away in terms of what you know right. what, what's going on there. But I do want to just in general terms, it seems to me in watching, you're kind of the field general. You're, getting, you're directing some traffic. You see when new personnel comes in. Just kind of take me through, okay, the... Uh, whoever it is, they're, they're done with their play. Let's say it's second and eight. You're getting set up. Take me through what your role is at that point. Yeah, and, and the, I think the reason we don't huddle as a defense is a res- direct response to offenses. You don't see a lot of offenses huddling anymore. True. With the spread, a lot of the signals, a lot of the play calling is either signaled in from the sideline or somebody's running a play onto the field and the quarterback's making checks. So we can't huddle as a defense. You'll see that in the NFL where the offenses are huddling and then the defenses can huddle as well. But 
the offenses, especially in college football, running spread, getting signals from the sideline, they're lining up. We have to be prepared to defend those formations immediately. So if we're in a huddle and they're already getting signals from the sideline and are spread out, we're we're at a disadvantage and we're out leveraged. So we're really set from the from the start and we're getting our signals from the sideline as well. And and that's just that's just kind of how football's evolving. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember everybody used to huddle and I, I love huddling. I think yeah. it's cool to run up to the line and things like that. But you know, you you got to adapt as the game adapts. Yeah, and then now you guys have such a deep, uh, maybe the deepest defense. I think I, you'd have to agree, right? Deep for sure, defense for sure. So, since so you've much been experience, here. so much depth. So your defensive coordinator looks to me, and we haven't seen it yet, probably. But there's some opportunity here where there's going to be some sub packages based yep. on situation. Yep. Are you the guy? I mean, obviously the coaches are calling it, but are you the guy that's going to help get everybody in the right spot? For sure. So bit? so up in the box, we're just matching personnel as they're subbing tight ends on, putting more receivers on whatever we're we're signaling similar yeah. body types so obviously as more receivers come on the field there's going to be more dbs it's more tight ends we're going to put more linebackers um and that that all comes from the box so they they do a great job they got binoculars they're looking down they're reading the personnel um and then immediately when the, they start subbing people on we're going to sub people um from the sideline so it's really cool because like those guys got to be ready at any moment. Yeah. Like we could go a certain personnel package, and they got to be ready to run on the field. And guys got to come off. So, yeah, we, you know, we just talk about communication, and that's key for a defense. And you know, it starts with Mike linebacker. So just communicating those types of things, getting everybody set is is what allows us to be successful, limit those explosive plays and just not give away any free yards because everybody's on the same page and then you just got to go out there and play. And then how much of that happens? Okay, so it's third down and this is the call. Here's the personnel. I mean, that all happens in a matter of probably 15 or 20 seconds. Right. The success of that play certainly hinges on what you guys do right there that night. But how much of it, too, goes back to when we talked in June and you guys are running drills without a football and here's the alignment and here's what we got to do and yeah, just being uh, yeah, in the right spot. Right. And I think all the success i really really the majority i mean the majority of that being prepared comes in the off season i mean the game is where you just go out and you just do it it's you you've done it a thousand times so you you can do it in your sleep um just being prepared knowing the tips and tendencies knowing your job on each and every call communicating being on the same page, and that comes from walkthroughs, film study sessions as a unit, film study sessions on your own, studying the playbook on your own. All that goes into making one simple play. So a third down stop, there are hundreds of hours Mm -hmm. that go into just making a simple third down stop. People just see the result, but there's just so much work that goes into it collectively as a unit and then individually as a player as well. Um, Braylon Oliver, a couple weeks ago, uh, he met with uh, with the the group of reporters that covers the team. Maybe, I think it was the first time since his injury, and he talked about that, but he said one of the big advances he made was learning how to study film, and he tipped his cap or his helmet to you in terms of that you've taught him kind of what to look for and then how to implement it. So a two-part question. One, how did you learn that? Maybe were there some gophers older than you that helped you, you know, here's what you watch. But two, it's I think it's one thing, hey, I'm going to put in eight hours a week watching film. Okay. But then how do you implement what you see into being efficient and productive on the field? Yeah. 
yeah, first, you know, I think where I learned to watch film, um, you know, I can give credit to a few people, but as an older older player, I, I remember Thomas Barber was always in, and uh, to have him back on the staff is really cool because he was really my mentor, and he taught me how to watch film. He taught me how to study tips and tendencies. And then obviously Coach Rossi as well. He does a phenomenal job of giving us those tips because we have a lot of people on staff, a lot of volunteers, GAs. Those guys are responsible for finding the tips. Um, they do a lot of that minute studying, a lot of data analysis coming up with the percentages and then they I mean it's really a collective effort and we come up with those tips and tendencies so when you get the list from the coaches now it's time to go study the film and you know Barbara just showed me like all right so if you get this certain formation we're expecting this play in this down and distance it's easy to read that in a bullet point on the tip sheet but to watch it on film and just kind of take that mental rep so when you're in the game and you see that exact formation you know to call out that tip and you know to be prepared for that play. Um, and then just just going on the second part of the question, like I said, is, is, is studying those, those film studies. So when you're in the game, you've already seen it. You've already made that check, if that makes sense. Um, you know, like I said, there's been countless times where we've studied tips and they show up in the game and they've made big time plays for us. Um, so yeah, I, I think those are really cool things. Uh, like from the football standpoint where it's kind of, it's more chess than checkers. Right. You know what I'm saying? Or it's more, yes, more yeah. chess than checkers. Cause you're kind of scheming and now preparing each other. And uh, you, you already know the play before it happens. Yeah, that's great. And then I suppose there are times where the offensive coach on the other team might say they might've self scouted and said, yep, they probably expecting us to do this. So let's do this. And maybe it works. And now you got to adjust and say, right. Oh, Hey, that's a, that's a break of tendency. Yes. Now, now how to adjust to that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, we're, we're in big time football here. So those coordinators are constantly doing self scouting. They look at their percentages as well. And they're like, Oh, you know, I run this play every time in this situation, I'm going to throw a change up here. Um, that's why we talk about anticipate, don't assume. Cause sure. if you assume it's this play and you, put yourself in a bad situation for another play, it's going to be bad for the defense. So we always talk about anticipate. And, you know, maybe there's a few keys or indicators on the field where the second you get that read, you know the play has already happened. And the second you don't, now it's time to read and react and go back to your base rules. So for sure, yeah, we self-scout on defense. The offensive coaches self-scout, and that's what makes it fun, you know. It's chess. You <laughs> no never doubt. know what your opponent's going to do. and uh, But, you know, you're prepared in a lot of the situations. I would think on the flip side, too for you guys you've self-scouted defensively and you might show a dummy look to a quarterback and he's thinking oh I've seen this on film and then you flip it and he throws one two years right yeah and, and it's just all about you know disguising coverages things like that and uh you know you see it at all levels yeah um just giving one picture showing another and you know making putting the offense in a position to react as well it's a beauty of football no doubt right. um how much from say like your high school days i know you played at a really good program so i'm sure there was film study involved but from how you would study film in high school to now in your fifth year at minnesota how much has that progressed yeah i, I think uh you know i actually started watching film when i was around 12 years old Man. and <laughs> i remember one of my coaches coach hunterford he would have my youth team over in my basement we had a projector screen in the basement and he'd be down there with you know a group of the guys 
pulling up film. He'd have the laser pointer and we'd be watching. So How old did you say, 12? 12, yes, I'm not kidding. So yeah, so film was introduced to me at a young age and I, I love film because it's it's the best tool to teach off of. Um, you know, football is such a fast game whereas the play happens, you read and react. You're not, I mean, there's sometimes you're not really sure exactly what you did. You reacted purely off instinct and, and based off your training. So when you slow down the film and you watch, you're just playing that play over and over in your head and you're just getting better at it and so when to have that opportunity to start when I was at such a young age and then going into high school Providence Catholic coaches are phenomenal and they did a great job teaching us to watch film as well and then that obviously at each stage of your life and each stage of football it keeps getting more and more intense and now at the collegiate level um, I felt like I had a great baseline understanding of how to watch film, how to use that to make me a better football player. And then once I got here, I was able to just apply that and continue to get better. I would guess too, the quality of film from when you were 12 watching, you know, youth football to now watching off, I suppose, HD, 1080, whatever right. that, that matters too. Oh, for sure. And, and there's times, I mean, I, coach Wenger loves, loves doing it, showing just old school film, even if it's from the early 2000s, 90s. Cause I mean, that's, I mean, it's still yeah. football film and it's still applicable, applicable to us. So we'll throw on that film. It would be all blurry and we're like geez and then we'll go to a current play and it's hd yeah. you know high definition and you know it's, it's cool to see how that aspect is has evolved as well so you've been studying football since you're 12 playing since before that um i don't think i asked you this in june do you foresee yourself let's say you play pro football if you get the chance and the fortune goes your way do you foresee yourself then staying in it as a coach you're a mark was it marketing i was finance finance, finance. Yep. Do you, so do you think you'd want to coach do you think you want to get into finance yeah i mean i i don't I'm, know i'm i'm leaning towards coaching and and you know I, every time i get this question asked me i just say the same thing i it's hard to see myself walking away from the football game. You know, I've been playing since I was eight years old and just love studying the game, love the X's and O's, love helping people get better at it, love improving myself. So for me to, you know, whenever my football career ends, to just walk away from, I think that would be really tough. So, you know, I love learning from a guy like Coach Rossi because, you know, he is the ultimate teacher. Yeah. And, you know, when just being like under him, has, has driven my passion to want to coach. And uh, so I do see myself coaching. Definitely going to be in the football aspect. You know, maybe I can use finance, be in the front office of, a, sure. of an NFL team, something like that, use my finance background, who knows. But do love coaching and uh, – do see it as a strong yeah. possibility. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe you could uh, too stay stay in it by. Uh, I mean, you're really good. You can stay in it on you know BTN or TV or oh, radio, for sure. anything. For sure, right? Because you're, you're awesome, man. It's no, great. I appreciate that. Um, these are fun. Yeah. These are fun. Just talking football, like I said, it's just it's just fun, and this is relaxing too. Yeah. You well, know? I don't know how many NIL deals you have or what have you, but I know this that uh, uh, we starting uh, this week. We're, we're proud to say Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, one of our sponsors of the Go Go for podcast. They want to support Gopher football and Gopher student-athletes. So uh, this week, for appearing on the Go Gopher podcast, uh, you get a $100 prepaid Visa gift card. So maybe it's your first media payday right here today. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, we appreciate all the sponsors just supporting Gopher student-athletes and, and helping us fulfill our dream and live out our dream as a, as a student-athlete. So maybe I'll go buy some some food with that. Yeah, or, you got your Thursday night yeah, meal paid th for now, There right? you go. Yeah, Perfect. Sure. No, I appreciate deal. that. Well, good to see you as always. Uh, let's have you back in a few weeks and uh, and we'll uh, hopefully be talking about what maybe a Michigan State win on the road. No doubt, no doubt. I'd love to be back on. Thanks All for. Right.
having me. Sounds good. Thank you. It's episode 35, Mariano Sori Marin. That's gopher linebacker Mariano Sori Marin. So impressive. Our thanks to him and our thanks to Affinity Plus for sponsoring the Gopher Player Profile segment in the Go Gopher podcast. We shift gears. We'll talk with St. Paul Pioneer Press beat writer Andy Greeter. After a word from Tony. Hey, Gopher fans, this is your State Farm agent, Tony Hoagland. We are super excited to be part of the new Mike Grimm Show on Talk North. For the year of 2022, we will be donating $10 to the University of Minnesota Children's Masonics Hospital. For everyone that calls our office or checks in with us online and mentions that they heard about us on Talk North and the Mike Grimm Show. We are really excited again that Mike came on board with Talk North. You can reach us at 763-421-4900. You can find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Again, 763-421-4900. Or find us on the web at champlininsurance.com. Roll the boat, Sky Yuma, go Gophers. Continuing episode number 35, the Go Gopher podcast with Mike Grimm and Andy Greeter from the St. Paul Pioneer Press covers the Golden Gophers. He joins us now, and good to see you, Andy. Good to see you, Mike. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. One week under our belt now. How, how, how'd you feel you uh, you performed in uh, in crunch time on deadline on Thursday night? <laughs> uh, you know, it, it was fine. You know, I think just given the, the A topic of, of Jerry Kill and, and P.J. Fleck, I mean, that was kind of the angle that I was going to take pretty much from the, from the start. So right. given the fact that they, they met and talked for whatever 90 seconds or whatever it was pregame. And, and there really wasn't a whole lot um, competitiveness to the game, you know, it kind of helped me on deadline that I didn't have, you know, kind of a, a, a last minute game winning interception or anything like that to, <laughs> to really throw the whole game story uh, for a loop. So it was, it was pretty straightforward, even if it was right up against deadline. Yeah, you were like the go for defense. Uh, worked minimally, thirty-three plays. That was it, right? Yeah, yeah. I wish, I wish, man. <laughs> right. I wish I was able to just kind of mail it in. Cruise but along, uh, yeah, right? I mean, speaking of that go for defense, I mean, they were absolutely lights out, and I think that was one of the question marks going into the year, just given the fact that they had to replace kind of half of their starters defensively, a lot on the defensive line. Uh, obviously, you have a, a quality of opponent that I think is 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 part of this conversation as we go and review week one but to be as stifling as they were and not really let new mexico state have anything uh, was really a testament to, I think, what the level could be for this defense. Yeah, no question. And I want to ask you what your takeaways were, but you, you mentioned uh, the Jerry Kill part of it, and certainly yeah. that was a buildup yeah. up to it. So I do want to get your your mm-hmm. uh, your assessment of of that. Obviously, you know, he's a guy who is going to, you know, he, he's built programs wherever he's been. He's taken these kind of jobs, mm-hmm. um, and he has some work ahead of him. It's, it's clear that team was, you know, yeah. not competitive, and I think they're probably in for a long, uh, a long bout. But I thought he, I thought he looked good. Um, I thought he was pretty fiery. I watched him in that in the Nevada game, man, and I'm, I, I didn't remember him being quite as fiery uh, even with Minnesota as he was then. But um, you got to tip your cap to him. I know a lot of people have said a lot of things, and you know he's you know has gone through some tough things. It seemed to me, and I, I'm hoping uh, upon hope uh, that uh, it seemed to me that even in his post game comments and with the handshakes, mm-hmm. it seemed that he might be ready to let bygones be bygones. I hope that's the case. What was your what was your take on that? Yeah, I, I agree, Mike. I think he was willing to kind of let things go and kind of look back and reflect on it and say, hey, I've always been an emotional guy and maybe I let my emotions get the best of me and I'm really loyal to, to Tracy Clays and not to rehash all the things that happened, but right. I think he was reflective in the sense of, hey, I was emotional and maybe a little bit too much, you know, just given that he was 
choking up post game. It reminded me of his last press conference in in 2015 when he was when he was crying and he felt like he was leaving a piece of himself behind in Minneapolis. And he was in kind of picked up where that left off, where he said that, you know, hey, I haven't been the same since I left here. And I think I think we kind of uh, overlooked the fact of how jarring that was for him. Obviously, he was you know, very invested in, in what that program was when he was with it and, and stopped taking his medication and wanted to get the offense clicking in 2015 and it didn't work. And then it kind of spiraled out of his, his own control. And like he said, he only can, can blame himself. But I think just given the fact that, you know, him and PJ talked for you know, two different instances and you know, Jerry was at post game talking about, Hey, give to PJ's foundation and, you know, kind of, he's got a great running back and, you know, they're a tough physical big 10 team. There's just a lot of compliments that he had for PJ. And yeah, you know, I think it's maybe a, a detente, a bit of an yeah. armistice uh, with Jerry Kill's, uh, you know, kind of reflection on on the Gophers and PJ overall. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I hope that's the case because it, it, that game probably should have been a much happier occasion in terms of him coming back, and just yeah. because of the comments he made, and again, some out of emotion, some out of pride and ego. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. All coaches have that. Um, it went sideways, and I don't blame people that work at Minnesota to be offended by what Jerry also said because there was a lot of people at Minnesota that that put their neck on the line for Jerry in a time of crisis as well and had his back through much of that. So it goes, you know, both ways. Hopefully it it, it now, um, who knows where it will go. I mean, may, we may not, you know, if they never play again uh, against New Mexico State, you know, at some point Jerry Kill's legacy will be uh, talked about and, and we'll see where it goes. But I also think I thought the concession was in the post game when Jerry's comments. He said, "You know, we. I think we helped build it. I think we helped get it." And he's now mm-hmm. taken it a step up, which I thought that concession uh, to me indicated that okay, um, you know, we're we're just gonna we're gonna feel part of it now and and move on. I hope that's the yeah. case. Yeah, I think if you if you want to look back at, at what Jerry inherited from Brewster, it was a very uh, difficult situation, no doubt. So to get them to to a 500 record in Jerry Kill's time to kind of be within a game of, of going to the Big Ten championship game a, a couple of times. And and like you said, making it respectable, making it, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a team that, you know, you can compete against and and know that you're going to get a, a tough game and a physical game. I think um, there is credit that de- deserves to go to, to Jerry Kill and, and his staff for what they did. Uh, in those five years in Minnesota, yeah, for sure, no doubt. All right, let's move on. Uh, Minnesota wins at thirty-eight to nothing. Uh, certainly, they outman the Aggies in that game. I'm at one point. I mentioned this on the PJ Fleck radio show the other day. I'm on mm-hmm. the air, and and you know, um, I, I when I was young, I was really good at math, but that's when I had paper and a calculator. When you're on the air trying to do on-air math, I've now mm-hmm. almost given that up. You've listened, I know, to some basketball and football where you're like, "What's Grim trying to add up here?" So I remember, I think it was late third, early fourth. I I looked down. I said 430 yards for Minnesota, 43 yards for New Mexico State, and I wanted to instantly say, that's 10 times more yards, but it sounded so absurd. I'm like, that can't be right. I'm like, 430 to 40. Yeah, that is. It's 10 times more yards, like to the number. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously they were overmatched, and it was what it was. What were? Give me two or three takeaways coming off that. And, again, maybe it's tough to evaluate just as we know the the, the class of competition will, Mm -hmm. will, will increase. Maybe not this week as much, but certainly going forward. Yeah, I think, you know, offensively, I think people were looking to see what Mo Ibrahim and Trey Potts were able to do and see them come back as, as strong as they look to be, I think is 
really a, a good sign for this Gopher offense. Obviously, when we talk about balance in this offense, it's never going to be 50-50 with P.J. Fleck uh, running the show. I think 60-40 is, is probably more like it. And I think when you have uh, you know two running backs you can count on uh, and what they showed on Thursday, I think it's a really good sign for what this offense can do. Kind of the second offensive point I noticed was just Tanner Morgan's poise in the pocket. I think he completed you know 68% of his passes, and that's kind of around the number that he had. When Kirk Scirocco was here the first time in 2019, I felt like he was poised in the pocket. You know, they don't like the word comfortable, yeah. but I uh, felt like he was – uh, very comfortable in the in the pocket um, on Thursday, and you know he made smart decisions when the first play broke down. You know, he scrambled a few times. He kind of got out of the pocket, bought some time, found some open receivers, and I think that's a good sign uh, for what this offense can do. And and they worked on that a lot. We just got off the Zoom call with Kirk Sharaka here, and he talked about kind of once that first play breaks down, the second play needs to start immediately, and you need to make spontaneous decisions and. And that really is what Taraka thinks separates uh, great quarterbacks uh, from average ones or, or below average ones is making the smart decision at that time. It's not you know, taking the ball and running 70 yards, but, you know, just picking up the first down and moving the chains. I thought Tanner uh, did that very well defensively. You know, like we talked about earlier, you know, they were just incredibly stifling. I think they got you know, maybe 40 yards on that last drive. Uh, a lot of it aided on, on Beanie Bishop's pass interference call that, he caught the ball over him, and they declined the penalty anyway. And then Terrell Smith with the uh, shutout saving uh, interception in the end zone. Besides that, you know, I don't think they were in Minnesota territory. I think they had you know two or three first downs through three quarters. It was just absolutely lights out. And and I think we we saw some of the depth on the defensive line. I thought that was impressive to see. I think you know Joe Rossi just got done talking about how he feels like they've got different pass rushers, different um, interior uh, defensive linemen that are not all the same, so they can mix and match. You know, you got a Trill Carter who's a stouter, more of a run-stuffing type of three technique, and you got Gage Keys who's a little bit longer, a little twitchier, maybe more of a, a pass rush type of guy at that same position. And you can mix and match different packages based on the the difference in, in players that they have along the defensive line. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops as the year goes. Yeah, I agree. I think all those things were were similar to my takeaways, and I, I would even take a step uh, further on your first one, which was my, also my mm-hmm. first takeaway in terms of the rushing game. Was you know it's one thing for I think Muhammad and Trey Potts to be back, and uh, again against a, uh, you know look Jerry's got to uh, going to have to rebuild that. I don't think he'd take offense to us saying that they were you know out of their class. So you know most Big Ten running backs are going to have a good day probably against that group of defenders. That said, um, the fact that Mo made a couple of really good jump cuts. He laterally moved. That, you know, I'm one of my favorite plays is that outside zone that he runs where he hides behind everybody like Emmett Smith used to do. And the next thing you know, it's second and one, right? And um and he they did a few of those. And he spun and broke some tackles. So it wasn't just like, okay, he had 132 yards. I thought he showed enough moves regardless of who the competition was that I think we can say, you know, assuming that there's nothing downhill from here, that right now, um, you know, is it the mole of old? I don't know, but it's a mole that's going to be productive in Big Ten football games, right? Yeah, for sure. I think given the fact that he had a year layoff and that he was able to trust what the reads were, right? Obviously, he's got amazing vision to kind of find those holes, like you said, on outside zone. 
Um, and then to kind of have the patience to be able to, to wait for it. You know, I remember his, his first carry of the game, I think it was a 16 yard gain and kind of waited for it to develop and made a cut. And then he got to the next level and kind of stuttered a little bit and made another cut. And it was kind of an effortless 16 yard gain. It was his longest of the day, but it was kind of indicative of the Mo of old that he's using his tremendous vision and backing it up with his athleticism. And yeah, like you said, he had, some nice cuts, some spin moves. He ran over some people, uh, which everyone likes to see with Mo. And at some of those points, you're like, okay, like you don't yeah. have to do that. You can avoid the contact. This isn't, you know, Wisconsin that you're facing. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think it was good for him to to kind of have that kind of natural sense about him. I thought Trey maybe needed to settle down a little bit. I thought he was maybe a little bit running through his shoes at times and. He obviously calmed down and, and had a productive day as well. Yeah, a, a great observation. Daryl uh, on the radio broadcast mentioned that that Trey looked so excited that that yeah. you know the patience you mentioned necessarily with uh, with Muhammad maybe early wasn't there with Trey, but once he got his skis under him, so to speak, then yeah. he he showed that he too looked to be like yeah he can be a productive running back. So I thought to me those were the two biggest takeaways that that Mo and Potts were were uh, not just productive, but they looked like they can move the way you would need to move in a Big Ten game and and uh, obviously that's going to be a key piece of this team and then defensively it was so few plays who knows right it's hard to evaluate mm-hmm. but they were efficient they smothered them like you said I think it was tw- at one point I remember saying on the broadcast 27 first downs Minnesota 3 New Mexico State. I doubt I've ever uttered those words before. Twenty-seven to three in first downs is, you know, pr- pretty remarkable as well. So, um, and, and honestly, a takeaway, as weird as it sounds, it, it can be they won the game. Uh, you know, yeah, it was a big favorite. It was against a bad team. Um, and and look, under PJ Fleck, they've only lost one non-conference game in five plus years now. One, that's it. But it's one that everybody remembers. And Bowling Green, yeah. a thirty-one point favorite. So, at the end of the day, to win it. Uh, uh, and then win convincingly. I think PJ called it workmanlike. To me, uh, yeah. Does that mean this program is you know? And when you and I and everybody else watched tight ones with Georgia Southern, tight ones with Fresno, and and certainly those teams are better than what this New Mexico State team was. But I thought you know, is this a sign that yeah, this is another potential step that you're going to put away these guys and you know this team is not going to mess around. Maybe who knows. Yeah, I think, you know, I was looking at some of the the passing charts today, and I don't think Tanner had a throw over 15 yards downfield. Um, I think they were very, like, when you talk about workmanlike, I think they also limited what they were doing in the playbook. I think they, you know, kept it it very vanilla uh, in a lot of respects. Um, I think they're waiting to keep those things for later on this, this year. So if they're able to do that here against Western Illinois and maybe even against Colorado, then they've got kind of a full... Uh, unveiling if if they wanted against against Michigan State in a couple of weeks, and I think that's kind of the goal here. Is you're a 37 point favorite again of of you know kind of keeping it you know vanilla if you if you have to and, and if you want to and 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 kind of limiting how much you're playing. I think I think we haven't talked about the fact that you know those 33 plays that the defense was on the field for was a program record. Yeah, I think about seven plays, which is just uh, amazing that they were able to limit them as much as they were and, and to stay as fresh as, as they were able to do as well. And, you know, it's interesting, obviously, when these schedules are made, it's years in advance, so you don't know the situation. But uh, these two opponents really are similar, both in first-year head coaches, both in absolute 100% rebuild mode. Um, I, I know uh, this Western Illinois team for spring ball had, what, 40-some players is all, and they had to add guys. And uh, obviously Jerry Kill's working through trying to add to rosters through, you know, JUCO and, and whatever means. So 
So they're both in first years, both you know struggling rebuilding programs. So um, I think you're right. Workmanlike, um, I think PJ Fleck, the head coach, would take another workmanlike effort uh, Saturday and go win by 38 or whatever it is, and and move on to Colorado, right? Yeah, for sure. And I think you know one of the keys is and you can't. There's no way that you can guard against this. But if they're able to to stay injury free or to limit yeah. them, right? I think that's really the the big thing is is to win, win handily, and and stay injury free as possible. That's really going to be something that is going to be looked at coming out of this game. And and let's assume it get you know where it is a point where PJ is going to have to figure out when when to pull the starters and when to let these guys get in. And we talked about it on the coaches show a little bit because PJ admits he's a guy that probably leaves his starters in more than most. I think he got burned a time or two early in his career by pulling the starters. And you know you, as he likes to use the analogy, you stick your hand on the stove a few times, and so he leaves his starters in a little bit. That said, and I asked him about it on the coaches show, and he he commented on a little bit. Um, they fancy themselves and they have to as a developmental program so at some point mm-hmm. some of these young guys when you got a low leverage situation to get them into a game um, where is that fine line if you got the lead to okay uh, Tanner you've had enough let's let's let Cole Kramer for a while get in there and let's let Ethan Kaliak Manis who is you know probably uh, you know going to be a starting quarterback for this program at some point mm-hmm. in the future uh, you know when right. you know you don't want that first snap to be uh, in East Lansing God forbid because of an injury uh, and so, or, or a linebacker, or a defensive tackle, or some mm-hmm. of these young kids to develop. So I don't know what the answer is, uh, it, because then you also run the risk: one, they could come back unlikely, but two, man, if you leave a guy in too long, I mean, Axel Rushmeyer, right? Uh, yeah, you know, right. thank goodness it sounds like he's okay, but he did get an injury mm-hmm. in a game that was out of hand. So, uh, it, you know, I, I don't want to be a coach. Um, it's fun that we get to talk about it, but th- those are decisions the coaching staff, you know, probably wrestles with, you know, daily, and then certainly within the situation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I would probably would have done it if I was on the sideline. I would have probably pulled the starters a little bit earlier. I felt like it was pretty well in hand. You know, the defense wasn't giving up anything, and I don't think the level would have dropped all that much if you have backup players in the game as well. Obviously, they're going to be itching to play and, and play well and and do well, and they're clearly a, a step or two above New Mexico State in their own right, yep. even as go for backups. Um yeah, I asked you know Rossi about if there was a challenge of having only 33 snaps uh, for his defense, and you know the, the word out of the program is you know 33 snaps is what we want. This is a positive. We're not going to look at this negatively. We're not going to look at hey, you know this guy wants more snaps than than what he had. You know I think that there's going to be a game, and Rossi said this. There's going to be a game where they're going to have to play 70 snaps, and that's just how college football is. So if they're able to take some of those, you know miles off the tires or tread off the tires, uh, then they're going to be willingly doing so. Uh, in the season opener. All right, let's uh, real quickly. I know you have things to get to. We appreciate you joining us here on the uh, Go Go for podcast. Let's take a quick tour around the Big Ten West here after uh, one week of play. Uh, in a couple of cases, two weeks of play. And let's go yeah. first of all straight to the South. What a game! Uh, seven to three. The Iowa Hawkeyes, yeah. the defending champs in the division, um, really got nothing going offensively um, mm-hmm. to the point where you see the score seven to three, and you say, "Oh, they got a touchdown at least against the Jackrabbits," and no. Nope, that's not the case. It was the defense scoring two safeties and the offense getting mm-hmm. a field goal after a, after a turnover. Um, what did did you? I don't know how much you got to see or the highlights or the storylines. Uh, what was your takeaway from that game? Yeah, it was. I was uh, at Allianz Field. Uh, Minnesota United was playing, so I had it on 
uh, as that game was warming up and, and getting ready to go. And as it ended, there were some you know, United people up in the press box and I, we were talking college football because it was on and I, you know, kind of had the trivia question ready. Uh, they scored touchdown. They, they scored seven points and, and they didn't have a touchdown. How did they get those points? <laughs> and, you know, one of the guys was like, what, what, how did that? And they figured it out that, you know, it was as, as funky as it was. Yeah. I think, you know, you know, Iowa has been in this spot before they've, they've been challenged against FCS level schools in the past and their offense has been slow out of the gate. So I think, We've seen it before, and we've seen them kind of right the ship and rely on their defense and rely on the field position like they did to be able to win that game, and then the offense kind of comes around. I wonder about their skill position players. Do they have the real difference makers to be able to, to turn it around? Yep. Um, I think that's really the the concern with them is do they have the the pieces to be able to do that? Yeah, I mean, that was the, that was the odd game, uh, and I love the contrasting it with the North Carolina App State oh, game. Oh, 62-60, and they scored more points in that football game than those two teams did in the basketball game last winter. I just yeah. love the, the contrast of, of college football where you have 7-3 with a couple of safeties and whatever, 62-60 in, a, in I, another game on the other side of the country. I, well, I happened to just accidentally stumble on the late replay of that game. I knew the final. I remember seeing the yeah. final. But they scored They scored like 21 points in the last like minute 10. Like it was a yeah. uh, you know a long play and then a, another, uh, the kick, the, they returned an onside kick. And then they go right down in like 18 yeah. seconds and they're a two-point yeah. conversion away. It was, it was a crazy finish for sure. Um, a, another little bit of trivia, um, that Iowa game, as you know, I grew up in Iowa, so I have followed that program, that Iowa game, uh, seven points for a winning Big Ten team, a winning team. Obviously, the Big Ten teams have scored fewer than that. That's the fewest points scored by a winning team uh, in a game uh, since 2004 when the Iowa Hawkeyes won in Happy Valley, guess what, six to four. Penn State, Penn State had the two. Uh, Penn State had the two safeties in that game. Uh, I remember oh, that fun. game. Iowa. I was actually living in St. Louis at that time. Iowa took an intentional safety. The Penn State offense that year, or that game, was so bad. Uh, Iowa took an intentional safety from its own end zone, knowing that. The only way they're probably going to lose a game is if they block a punt for a touchdown. I want to say there was like eight minutes left in the game. It was six to two. And they took an intentional safety to make it six to four. Maybe there were yeah, six minutes left. Ball. Yeah, but it wasn't. It wasn't like like thirty seconds left. It was like minutes, like four, five, six, eight minutes. I have to go back and look. I just remember like that's how bad that Penn State offense was. And then um, my very first Big Ten game, Andy, that I ever went to. I was nine years old, growing up in Iowa, mm-hmm. and my dad took me to Arizona, Iowa, nineteen eighty, and that final was Arizona five, Iowa three. So I thought yeah. there might be a second 5-3 game at Kinnick Stadium, but they did get that last safety to make it 7-3. So there's there's a little trivia that nobody cares about, but I thought we'd throw it out there. Nebraska, I know we got to yeah. uh, get uh, get going here. Nebraska obviously uh, blew that game with the onside kick situation out in, in uh, Ireland against yeah. Northwestern. Northwestern 1-0 in the league. And then, um, you know what, 24-17 going into the fourth. North Dakota right. making a game right. of it, and then they got a couple of touchdowns late to make it comfortable. But uh, what's going on in big red land yeah it doesn't uh doesn't look good when you're struggling against an fcs school that's not one of the the better dakota schools right yeah. it wasn't north dakota state it wasn't south dakota state it was north dakota so i think that's a little bit concerning on top of the fact that they gave up that game against northwestern so yeah i think 
getting a win is is a step in the right direction, just given how things went in Ireland. Um, but yeah, not a very convincing uh, showing in their first home game. Yeah, wonder wonder how that thing's going to go. It could go a number of ways, I suppose. Uh, not no surprise to the East. Minnesota won thirty eight nothing. So Wisconsin said, "Ah, we'll do that too." They beat Illinois State and Zach mm-hmm. Anikstead and Brock yeah. Anikstead thirty eight thirty eight nothing, and and looked like they rolled. They had a Braylon Allen what ninety plus yard touchdown and then a pick six mm-hmm. for a hundred yards. I think I saw. Yeah, I think Zach Hannick said I think had a couple interceptions. So wish the best to him as they get rolling in a maybe more competitive schedule later on this year. But yeah, pretty pretty one-sided game in that one. And I think, you know, for the most part, the FCS schools across the country um, you know, kind of wilted against the the bigger boys kind yeah. of across the board. You mentioned the two examples that it was competitive, but you saw a lot of ranked uh top twenty-five ranked teams really take it to uh uh, some lower FCS schools, and I think it's going to be a similar thing against Western Illinois here this weekend for the Gophers. Uh, Purdue Thursday night uh, gave Penn State everything it wanted. Probably feels like it should have won the game. That's a team that a lot of people, I like them because of the schedule and they have the best quarterback maybe in the division. Uh, but yeah. uh, from a Minnesota standpoint, it's probably a good thing that Penn State won that game, and uh, I thought Purdue showed something a little bit too. Yeah, for sure. I think if you're trying to finally win the West to have, you know, Purdue with a loss already uh, right out of the gate, I think is, is beneficial for them. Obviously it was you know, a nip and tuck close game and, you know, Purdue shows themselves to be pretty competitive. So I think both of those games for the Gophers will be, will be big challenges. I think having Purdue come here uh, bodes well for Minnesota and obviously going to Penn state for the whiteout game will be a massive challenge for Minnesota. And then lastly, we mentioned the Northwestern game uh, with Nebraska, but I wanted to ask you about uh, Illinois. Um, They won against Wyoming in a Week 0 game, and then I thought they kind of stubbed their toe. I thought that was a game they had in control, it looked like, and then then they allowed that last drive by by Indiana, a couple of fourth-down conversions, I think. And and that's one that I'm thinking later in the year Indiana or uh, Illinois is going to wish they had. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you talked about the the yardage discrepancy between Minnesota and and New Mexico State, it was a similar thing for for Illinois over Indiana. You know, they had a you know massive uh, lead in yards going into that final drive, and yeah, I think the prevent defense uh, came back to bite them. You know, they left a lot of things open underneath and and got exposed. And Indiana saw the opening and and took it and and won a game with with an Indiana team that I think a lot of people think is going to be at the basement of the Big Ten overall in a in a Illinois team that obviously came to Minnesota and won a game and is in Brett Bielema's second year and you think, okay, they can take another step up. So to to lose right out of the gate like that is is disappointing and in the fashion they did it as well. Well we'll let you go. Appreciate it. Awesome insight as always. Uh, you got anything cooking that we should be watching for in the uh, St. Paul Pioneer Press? Yeah, I'm gonna do something uh here this week on the relationship with uh Kirk Sharaka and, and Tanner Morgan and kind of how they're able to to take that next step as as they're back together again and and what we saw in the first game and what we might see the rest of the year. All right, TwinCities.com, and then what's your Twitter handle? That's right, uh, at Andy Greeter. All right, awesome. We'll let you go. Thank you, sir. 
All right, thank you. My thanks to Gopher beat writer Andy Greeter from the St. Paul Pioneer Press and also to Gopher linebacker Mariano Sori Marin for offering their great insight to us here on the Go Gopher podcast this week. It's episode number 35. The Go Gopher podcast is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you are buying or selling a business, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. We once again welcome our new partner, Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, your local credit union throughout the state of Minnesota. And we're also sponsored by State Farm Agent Tony Hoagland. Again, I'd invite you to listen to past podcasts and please be sure to click the subscribe button right now on the Go Gopher podcast. It's free to listen at any time. And please share the link on your social media channels to tell others about the show. We'll talk again next week. Next week.